0: All right, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5. We've been in this book again and again. It's kind of the launching place. Uh, And then, if you want to, uh, put your finger in the book of 2 Corinthians, because that's actually where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, We're continuing our exploration Of what the Bible teaches about the afterlife, that is, what comes after this life, our present existence, what does the Bible teach about our ultimate future, and the part of the afterlife we are focusing on today is what is commonly called Judgment Day, or the Day of Judgment, that experience that is in front of all of us when our lives are going to be evaluated. They're going to be evaluated in light of God's expectations, our Creator and Lord. When is this going to happen? Well, it's going to happen when what we talked about last time happens, namely when Jesus Christ returns as He promised uh, to this world, now there's a, there's a passing reference to this in First Thessalonians chapter five, uh, and a couple other places too. But look at chapter five, verse twenty-three, where the Apostle Paul, writing to these believers in Jesus in Thessalonica, says, "Now may the God of peace Himself." sanctify you or set you apart or make you holy completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ so this is this is a prayer this is Paul's hope for them his wish that they would be ready that they would be uh, holy and blameless at this coming time of evaluation when Jesus returns. But I wanna look at a much more detailed reference to this future event in 2 Corinthians. So if you're in, uh, if you wanna flip to 2 Corinthians, or you know, get your electronic device there. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 6 through 10. And again, this is the Apostle Paul. This is him writing to uh, the believers in Jesus in Corinth. Second Corinthians 5, verse 6. He says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body at home in the Lord. What's he talking about? Well, he's referring to... Uh, A contrast between current existence in the body versus dying and being with Jesus in his presence all prior to the coming resurrection. And he said, if I had my choice, I'd rather be home with the Lord, but here I am in the body. But one way or another, he says, verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, the Lord whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So you can see that reference to our future evaluation there in the last verse. And I just want to highlight three facts about this so that we're all clear on this. Fact number one, we will be judged, every single one of us, everyone. Being evaluated is not something only for certain people, like those who reject Christ or those who do really terrible things. This evaluation is for everybody. Everybody's going to be evaluated. Paul is a believer in Jesus. He's an apostle. And he's writing to other people who are also believers in Jesus. And he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So every single one of us is going to experience this. So know that fact number two we will be judged by christ so the picture here is of a courtroom scene and there's a judge behind the bench so to speak sitting on the judgment seat and he is the one who is going to evaluate all the evidence and render his decision his judgment And who is this? Who is this who is going to evaluate us? Well, notice, the judgment seat is called the judgment seat of Christ, Messiah. Namely, Jesus, the Son of God. So, in addition to being Lord, in addition to being Savior, Jesus has the title Judge. That's who's going to evaluate each one of us. Now, of course, the crucial question is how is he going to evaluate us? What, What evidence is he going to use? What exactly is he going to be looking at? And that brings us to fact number three we will be judged for what we did. We will be judged for what we did. Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the evidence in the courtroom of heaven, the admissible evidence will be the things we have done, that is our works, our deeds, our actions, our behavior, whatever, however you want to label it. And this is not this is not an isolated teaching just here in 2 Corinthians. This is all through the Bible. Okay, look at a few samples. Jeremiah 17:10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man, every human, according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Matthew 16, 27: For the Son of Man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Romans 2.6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming soon. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So this is just consistent teaching. Okay, well, hold on. Just hold on. Why are we going to be judged for our works if we are believers in Jesus? I mean, isn't the gospel, isn't the message of Jesus, isn't the good news that what makes us acceptable to God is not our works, but our faith in Jesus. I mean, come on, Pastor Scott, you say that all the time. And I do. I do. Being right with God, because this, the, the teaching of the Bible is crystal clear on this. Being right with God, being acceptable to God, being approved by God is, is not something we achieve By our deeds, by our good works, no matter how many we do. It's not something we achieve at all. It's something we receive. It's a gift. We receive it through faith in Jesus. It's an unearned gift. That's the whole point of the word grace. It's not merited. It's not deserved. It's unearned. It's free. Look at these verses. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nobody's going to be standing there on Judgment Day going, look what I did. Pretty sweet, huh? Nobody. Galatians 2.16. We went through the book of Galatians not long ago. We know that a person is not justified, that is, made right with God by works of the law we're not justified before god by our works but through faith in jesus christ so there's no way we can earn god's approval gain god's approval by our efforts no matter how many good deeds we do jesus saves us and he does it through faith in him period That is true. That is gloriously true. Because that is true, though, sometimes Christians can think that this day of judgment doesn't matter. It's kind of like one of those classes that you take either in high school or college where it's all about how many points you have, and if you get enough points, you don't have to take the final Did you ever have a class like that? Those were great. get those points, and it's like, hey, I don't even have to take the final. That's great. And so um, since when it comes to God and his evaluation, if Jesus has already given us his points, so to speak, he's already given us a passing grade, when we put our faith in him, well, then we don't have to worry about the final, right? It's, and it's as if then this, this day of judgment thing doesn't matter. It's just a mere formality. It doesn't really count. But that can't be true. That can't be true. Because Paul did not think that way. Even though... I mean, he of all people says over and over and over again, we're saved by faith in Jesus, not by our deeds, not by our works. He says that all the time. And yet he takes this day of judgment very seriously. Look at verse 9 again on your, on your note sheet. He says, so we make it our goal to please him. How does he want to live? He wants to live in a way that pleases Jesus in everything that he does, whether at home or in the body or away from it okay why why does Paul want to live that way why does he want to live to please the Lord verse 10 for that means because we make it our goal to please him because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad you see the logic you see what he's saying He's saying we do our best to please the Lord in all that we do because he's going to judge us for what we do, how we live. What we do really is going to matter on judgment day. On our final exam, we are going to be evaluated on the basis of our works. And it's going to matter. And the question is, why? Why is it going to matter? If Jesus saves us through faith alone, why does it matter what we do? Now, sometimes people will attempt to resolve this apparent problem by saying, well, that's because this judgment, this is only about rewards. This, this is not about salvation. This is talking about whether those who are already saved, whether they get any rewards and what kind of rewards they get. Okay, let's assume that's true. I'm not entirely convinced that's all there is to it, but let's just, for the sake of argument, say that's true. Even if that's true, it still doesn't solve the problem. Because we don't earn rewards by our own efforts any more than we earn salvation by our own efforts. Look at Romans 15, 18. Paul says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. In other words, it's not me on my own. It's Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by, by what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 14, 23. Everything that does not come from faith isn't all that great. Look at this. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. If If it's not coming out of trusting in Christ it's sin wow so you see being a Christian is all about faith in Christ from beginning to end whether you know we're saved by faith we obey by faith and we gain rewards by faith it's all faith relying on Christ that is from from beginning to end it's all about relying on jesus so back to the question why then are we going to be judged by our works whether we're talking about salvation or rewards if what saves us or what brings about rewards is faith not our works faith in christ why are we going to be judged based on our works have i made you sufficiently uncomfortable Actually, I've probably made the problem sound more difficult than it is. We're gonna be judged by our works because works are the evidence of faith. Works are the evidence of faith. That's why. Or to say it another way, what you do reveals what you really believe. Matt was alluding to this earlier when we were talking about, you know, salve, uh, knowing Christ as Lord. Because there there is a misunderstanding of faith that faith is somehow just this intellectual agreement thing that doesn't actually affect how you live, and that's not biblical faith. What we do reveals what we really believe. So, yes, being right with God is only through faith in Jesus, only. Okay, but here's the question. On Judgment Day, how will faith be seen? How will faith be seen? How do you see faith? Faith is invisible. Faith is a condition of the heart. So you can't just look at somebody you know, it's not like we have little red lights that flash on our head or something that's or you know, those halos and those old paintings. <laughs> you can't see faith. You can't tell just by looking at somebody if they actually really genuinely believe in Jesus or not. So what is the evidence that you really have faith? Answer, your works. What you do how you live i think it's john piper who says it this way salvation is owned by faith but salvation is shown by works salvation is owned by faith but it is shown by works so in god's courtroom the 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 valid evidence of faith in christ is obedience that's how faith shows itself. Doing what Jesus said because we trust him. That's how we know we trust him. If when he says, do this, we do it. Or if he says, don't do this, we don't do it. At least in an increasing degree as we go along. And this is why James says that if faith doesn't have works, it's dead. James 2.17 Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is not alive. Faith is not real unless there are works of faith to prove it. Now, let me try to avoid a potential misunderstanding. This is not a demand for absolute perfection. Okay, <laughs> again, I've, I've talked about those of you with really sensitive consciences and, uh, you know, anytime you hear a message like this, you think, oh, that's it, I'm, I'm out, I'm out because, look, look, I don't, I don't trust Jesus enough. Yeah, you, that's right, you don't and I don't either and nobody in the room does. There's not a single person in this room who trusts Jesus perfectly in every situation. How do I know? Because you still sin. And if you trusted Jesus perfectly in every conceivable situation, you would never sin. And I haven't met that person yet. So this is not a demand for absolute perfection. If grace means anything, it means that God loves and God rescues and God accepts imperfect people. Yes. Hallelujah. And Paul himself said this in Philippians 3.12. Look at it. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. This is the Apostle Paul. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Look what he's saying. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. I I haven't reached the goal yet but I am pressing on to take hold of everything for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, he's got a relationship with Christ. He knows Christ. He's experienced Christ's saving grace, but he's pressing on. And it's that pressing on that reveals that his faith is real. And that's what's motivating him. That's what's moving him. Take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And so, this is the issue. This is the issue. Do the things that you do, does the way that you live reveal a faith in Jesus that's real and growing, however imperfect it might be? And I know all about imperfect faith because I'm there. You know, there are times when I find how weak my faith is to be absolutely appalling. But do the things that you do, does the way that you live, reveal an increasing, or a faith that is real and growing? That's the issue. Genuine faith in Christ, genuine faith in Christ will be proven, And genuine faith in Christ will be rewarded based on what we did. Because what we did will reveal what we really believed, who we really trusted in. So, how can you be ready for that day? How can you be ready? That's a question that we all need to be asking. How can we be ready? I have three answers for you, which are three ways of saying the same thing. Answer one, don't rely on yourself, rely on Jesus, rely on Christ. Don't rely on yourself, rely on Christ. So Galatians 2.20 again, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So, the question to ask, you ask yourself, and I'll ask myself, who or what are you relying on to make you acceptable to God? Who or what are you relying on to enable your life to meet with his approval? If your answer is anything other than Jesus, you know, that's the joke, the the answer to every Sunday school question is Jesus, hey, this really is the, the only right answer, If your answer is anything other than Jesus, this is the wrong answer. If you'd say something like, well, you know, I try really hard. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. I pray. I try to live a good life. I try to be a nice person. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I, 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 I. Who am I relying on? Jesus. Jesus is the savior jesus is the one who poured out his mercy and his grace on me jesus took hold of me and jesus is the one who enables me to do anything that god rewards and approves it's him now if you think your life as you consider yourself if you think your life shows that that it doesn't show that you truly rely on christ okay Let me tell you what the solution isn't. The solution isn't try harder, do more. The solution is to rely on Christ and come to him and confess your self-reliance as sin and, and ask him to forgive you, to lead your life, to help you in everything. He will do it. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and calling on his name that is the call of reliance it is the call of help me do in me what, what you alone can do enable me to do what you want me to do call on the name of the lord don't rely on yourself rely on christ second answer don't live for yourself live for christ so The result of relying on Christ is that we begin to live for his agenda, not our agenda. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 9 when he says, so we make it our goal to please him as opposed to pleasing ourselves. Now, I know it sounds like if you say, well, okay, i got to live for Christ, not live for me. i got to live to please him, not please myself. I know that sounds like a sacrifice, doesn't it? I got to give up my agenda and I got to follow his agenda. It sounds like a sacrifice, doesn't it? But it really isn't. Ultimately, it's not because his agenda is the one that ultimately works. His agenda is the one that ultimately satisfies. His agenda is the one that actually gives me the joy I've been pursuing all along. Living his way always brings about the best possible results ultimately. It's kind of like, you know, if you imagine a child holding a penny because it's shiny and it's bright, and and you've got, I don't know, you're 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 an that favorite uncle or aunt or something, and you want to give him a twenty dollar bill for his birthday or something. He's like, no, I got my penny. And clinging to the penny and won't take the twenty because he's got the penny. Say, how foolish. That's what we do. I'm gonna hold on to my penny when what Jesus is offering me is eternal joy. Don't live for pennies, live for Christ. And third, don't focus on yourself, focus on Christ. You see, in the theme here? You know, a big problem with human pride is, is basically we get preoccupied with ourselves. And this can look very different. It can look very different. It can look like self-pity, or it can look like uh, self-satisfaction. And those those look like they're very different, but at the core of it, they come from the same root. So self-pity says, it's, it's preoccupation with my weakness. Oh, I'm such a loser. Oh, I'm so ugly. Oh, I can't do anything right. Now, that doesn't sound like pride, does it? but that's ultimately where it comes from. It's feeling sorry for yourself because you don't have more to be proud about. Self-satisfaction, on the other hand, is being preoccupied with our strengths. Oh, I'm so gifted. I'm so hardworking. I'm so faithful. Now, most of us tend to be prone to one or the other, self-pity or self satisfaction. Actually, we can do them both in a span of about five minutes. It's amazing. We just go ping from self-pity to self-satisfaction and then back and forth. And they're both a problem because they're both forms of self-preoccupation. What does faith look like? Get your eyes off of self and get them on Christ. Look at him. It doesn't matter how weak I am. Doesn't matter how great I am, it matters. Christ matters. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our. Picture this, okay? It's a race. And it's a marathon, and you're running the race. And then what's there at the end? There's a goal. There's a tape. Okay? We're running for the tape. We're running the race with endurance. We need to fix our eyes on the goal. What's there? Who's there? Jesus. Waiting. Waiting. Come on. Focus on me. Don't focus on the other runners. Don't focus on yourself. Look, Look to me. So this day is coming, and we want to be ready. I'm going to invite you to bow with me and pray. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to do business with Jesus. And if today you would say, you know, as I look at my life and I look at my works, my deeds... I'm not sure they're really showing that I'm relying on Christ and focusing on Him. Then today, call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have come. Thank you that you have died for my sin in my place. Please give me the righteousness I need, and by your Spirit, help me live a life that honors you. Let's just bow right now, and i give you a quiet moment to talk to the Lord. And if anything I've talked about today, you want to talk more about it later, I would love to do that. Or you can write a question on that Connect card that we'll hand in here in a minute. But just take a minute and pray right now. Lord Jesus, so grateful that you are not only Lord and Judge, you are Savior. And Lord, it's your righteousness we need and it's you working in us that we need so that we will be ready on that day. Help us be ready. Help us take it seriously. Help us live every day by faith in you. We pray in your name. Amen.